Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you by our friends at Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities, and they do it in three easy steps. Just first, go to mercurymile.com. You set up your profile. You you decide you know, what you think your different sizes will be for different kinds of attire, what kind of styles you like. Are you more interested in clothes or nutrition or whatever? And then you'll get a curated box of different uh, attire and things like that from your personal stylist. And that box is always looking good. I'm a huge fan of Mercury Mile, as I've said many times before. And with that being said, you should definitely give it a shot. Because even if you don't like what comes in that box, you can send it right back. But I have no doubts that you like what you see. And it's affordable as well. So give it a shot. MercuryMile.com. And if you use code Rambling Runner 10, that's the number 10, Rambling Runner 10 at checkout, you save 10 bucks. So there you go. And today on the show, I have someone I've been wanting to have on ever since this show started nearly a year ago. It's Sarah Canny. Sarah has done just some incredible work uh, this past winter and spring with some of her races and like the most, like most of us, she's also struggled at other points as well. And in this episode, she um, just speaks very candidly and frankly and openly about those experiences, both highs and the lows. And it really was so much fun to talk to her about all of it. If you follow Sarah, then you already know what I'm talking about. If you don't, first of all, what have you been waiting for? But secondly, she's easy to find. She's on all of the uh, all the social medias at Run Far Girl is her is her handle on all of them. You can also find her at runfargirl.com. She's also a coach. She also has um, a bunch of apparel that she sells, and also a good portion of that uh, the proceeds from the apparel goes to um, just a, a nonprofit that she really uh, feels strongly about. Um, she'll, she gets into it on her website extensively, but let me just tell you, if you go on there, runfargirl.com, check it out. Uh, a lot of the proceeds go to something that's near and dear to her family's heart, so I suggest you give it a look. With that said, at the end of the episode... I ask her some personal questions <laughs> regarding my own running because she last year um, did fantastically well in the Killington Mountain Race, which I'll be running in August this year. And with that being said, she actually has her own promo code for that race. If you want to save 20% off your registration fee, so you just use the promo code RISERUN20. That's Rise Run 20. Uh, if you sign up for the Under Armour Killington Mountain Race um, and you save 20% off, and shoot, if you do sign up, let me know because I'll be there. It would be great to get a little rambling runner get together uh, up there on Killington Mountain. So, without further ado, here is Sarah Canny. Hello, Sarah, and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. Hi, Matt. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. You just had a huge race. I'm just, I'm still surprised that you're awake right now. I mean, I would think yeah. that running up a mountain would require at least one week full of sleep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it certainly is a, a grueling race, but um, you'd actually be surprised um, 
typically you're really not that sore afterwards because there's no downhill um, aspect to it. So my quads feel great right now. (laughs) That's funny because I would think the exact opposite. I would think that the downhill part would be a welcome relief. Than, yeah. uh, than, 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 than the constant incline. Um, and just, just for a little context, you just ran the Mount Washington um, race. I don't know. The, I, I always keep forgetting the exact title. But basically, running the top of Mount Washington, it is one of uh, just one of the most grueling races around here. We're both New Englanders. And mm-hmm. it is uh, it really is a huge race. And you've said in the past, including in a blog post you put out the day before the race, that mm-hmm. this is your favorite race. They forget yeah. the BQs, forget all the other ones. You've done uh, a bunch of very interesting races, but this is the number one for you. Why is that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a unique race. It's a really special race. I think what I enjoy most about it is um, the community aspect of it as well. Um, race day is just a lot of fun. It's like a big reunion of a lot of people that you – Maybe don't get to see that often um, at, at local races or whatever. And um, but everyone's there on race day, and it's kind of like a big party basically for runners. So um, the other kind of fun part of it too is that um, because it goes—I mean, for people who don't know—the um, race itself is um, seven point six miles up the Mount Washington Auto Road. Mount Washington is the highest peak in the Northeast. Um, And you gain about 4,500 feet in elevation um, throughout those 7.6 miles. Um, They close the auto road um, for the race. And so everybody runs up. And then you kind of have to hang out at the top until the last runner comes, finishes. And then, you, you know, everyone can drive down. So a lot of times after you've finished, you've got another hour, hour and a half, just kind of kicking it at the top. And um, it's kind of fun because everyone's just finished a grueling race and um, it's like a big tailgate party up there. So it's just, I love the community aspect of it. It's, it just makes it a really fun race. Well, especially if you have to, if you're almost like, it's almost like forced fun in a way, right? Yeah, it's almost like, exactly. it's almost like, a, like a college orientation. Exactly. It's like, you're going to stay in this room, God damn it, until like you guys start until getting along. Until you all get along. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it's, it's super fun. And um, yeah, I just, I just enjoy that aspect of it too. Cause you get to know people in, in the local running scene who maybe, um, you haven't had a chance to talk to, um, you know, cause everybody, they only let a, a limited number of cars to the top. So everyone's really forced to carpool. Um, and, uh, you could end up riding up and down with, or riding down with people that you've never met before. So, so that's really fun too, but you all have this co- thing in common that you just ran this absurd race up a mountain and you think that's fun. So it's good to hang out with a bunch of insane, crazy mountain running people. Well, not only that, where you have everyone congregating at the end, which does sound like a blast because you have, I'm sure, so many different kinds of characters who would view this race as an integral part of their year. And I can't wait mm-hmm. to talk about people like that. But I just love the video that you shared 
of George running yes. up. Like, to yes. tell that story. Like, I thought that oh, was Oh, my amazing. goodness. Yeah. So there's actually a really great um, video of him. Um, so if you go to the Mount Washington Auto Road Race Facebook page, um, on their on their page, they've got a, um, a a video that kind of tells his story. So he um, he's ninety. So this year he's ninety eight. Um, he's been running the race since his sixties. So like the past thirty years, he's been running the race. Um, and yeah, he's he's it's insane. I mean, he's ninety eight and he's running. 7.6 miles up to the top of the highest peak in Northeast. I mean, it's really incredible, very inspiring. Um, and he actually shaved a minute off his time this year. <laughs> so he was no. faster than last year when he was 97. So I think the fun thing too, is that um, they start to let cars down um, right around the three hour mark. I, I believe it is. And um you the last I've done so this was my third year and you always pass George you know he's about a mile from the finish as people are starting to drive down and just everyone got their windows rolled down cowbell cheering like going crazy for George because everybody knows who he is and everybody loves him and um he's a huge inspiration so um yeah but if definitely people should check out the the video that tells his story because it just kind of goes into his history of how he got started running and why he keeps coming back to Mount Washington. So it's really neat. I got to get this guy on the show. Yeah, you do. Totally <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> awesome. um, yeah. I'm like kind of intimidated because that's the one thing about someone who runs a lot slower and for some of these longer races, so they, whether it's someone who's because of old age in George's case, or say it's a first time marathoner, um, mm -hmm. who maybe runs a five hour marathon. They like, they can't wait to go faster, but mm -hmm. like just being on your feet for that amount of time is its yeah. own struggle. Oh, I mean, yeah, I feel like totally. if I'm on my feet five hours, just standing there, never mind, like actually moving in any specific direction, you know, that, that, that is a grind. And it, mm -hmm. that is simply amazing at any pace, being on your feet for three hours, running, you know, going up a hill. That really is incredible. Um, yeah, definitely. So what, what, what is like the retention rate like for a race like this, which is so unique and has such a very different race day feel than other mm -hmm. races? You feel like, yeah. you feel like once you do it, you're hooked? You know, it's interesting. I think there are two types of people. There are either people who they do it and they're hooked or they do it and they hate it and they're never coming back again. There's like no sort of in between, <laughs> or at least that's what it seems like in my experience and conversations with people. So um, the thing about this particular race is it's actually a lottery system to get in. Um, so I believe that the field is limited to 1200 runners or so. Um, and in order to get into the race, um, you have to, uh, to get in through the lottery. Um, there is one way to bypass the lottery and that's by participating in the USATF New England mountain running series, which I did last year. Um, so if you complete that series, then you, you get what's called mountain goat status, and then you can bypass the lottery. So, um, so if you want to run that mountain, you can run six other mountains first to get there. Yeah. It's kind of a, a fun kind of crazy. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. That's a great nickname too, mountain goat. I mean, I can, I can, yeah. that's, that, there's a lot worse nicknames than that. That's for sure. Yep. So what were, what was part of that series? 
Um, so those races are all across New England. Um, there's several in New Hampshire, a couple in Vermont, um, a couple in Massachusetts. Um, Loon Mountain is one of them. Cranmore Mountain Race. Um, Mount Greylock Mountain Race. We run up Wachusett, Escutney. There's one in um, up in Vermont called Sleepy Hollow uh, Mountain Race. So um, Bretton Woods Fell Race. There's quite a few, um, quite a few races kind of all over uh, New England. Yeah, it's amazing how there. these mountains have like really tried to get the summer sports scene involved when they're kind of like off peak uh, from the from, from the skiing, yeah, right? Yeah. You got like the BM, you got like the mountain bikers that come in. You got the runners mm-hmm. that come in. Yep, definitely with um, with Cranmore Loon. Um, and now Killington with the Under Armour Mountain Series at Killington, you know, so a lot, a lot of the ski areas are um, starting to host these these mountain races, which um, which is a lot. Of, I mean, it's great for them, um, and it's a lot of fun. So, now what 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 kind of got you to to go into this like mountain racing scene, trail running, ultra mm-hmm. running, and even snowshoeing? Like this is yeah. kind of like off the beaten track from kind of the, the normal running scene that a lot of people experience. Yeah. So I think, um, it, my actual sort of first, I guess you could say off-road running experience, um, snowshoe running. Um, and that was in 2014. Um, I think I just saw it and thought it sounded like fun and decided to give it a try and really enjoyed it. Um, and then continued with the, with the snowshoe running in the winter, but was still primarily roads, um, through 2014, 2015. And and then into 2016, I, um, I ran the Boston marathon for the first time. And that had always been my goal, um, was to, to get a BQ and then, and then to run Boston. And, um, Honestly, I just, I didn't enjoy it. And I think part of it was that, um, my mentality going into the race was that I wanted to PR, um, at Boston and, um, the weather and some other uncontrollable factors kind of influenced my, my race there. But, but also I realized as I was running that like this, the city streets and the crowds, they just don't do it for me. Like I know a lot of people, talk about feeding off the energy of the crowds and, um, and that sort of propelling them, um, forward. But I honestly just felt a little claustrophobic and just kind of realized, like, I just don't think city marathons are my thing. Um, so, and it was kind of a bummer that Boston was the race where I realized that that was true for me, um, because it is such an iconic race and, um, for so many people, but, um, after that experience at Boston, um, I got into the Mount Washington race and that was my first mountain race and I loved it. It was incredibly painful and it was harder than any other race. I, any other marathon I'd run. And so there was something about it being harder than a marathon that really intrigued me. And part of that was my pacing the first year that I ran Mount Washington. I just went out way too fast. And, um, but even despite suffering so badly, there was just, I just, something about it. I just wanted, I just knew I wanted to come back and, um, and be a part of that. And then 2016, so I did, you know, 
had Boston, then Mount Washington, and then um, I ran the Loon Mountain Race as well. And um, that kind of sealed the deal for me just in terms of um, realizing that maybe I'm just better suited to the and enjoy them the mountain and trail stuff far more than than the roads it's it's funny how you describe it in a way because you're like all right mount washington was so painful it was the hardest thing i've ever done i loved it <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, such a, yeah, it's, it's almost know. like you feel like you're going one way and it's a completely juxtaposed juxtaposed juxt all right you know the word i'm trying to say juxtaposed yeah juxtaposition yeah juxtaposed which yeah, be like yeah. the end of the sentence and the first part of the sentence and it's it's mm-hmm. funny how us as runners we can feel that way about certain workouts or, or races or, mm-hmm. or what have mm-hmm. you. And it, it, hearing you talk about your experience at Boston, it reminds me of listening to, um, or say reading the book, Iron War about Mark Allen and Dave Scott that Mar- mm-hmm. uh, Matt Fitzgerald wrote and how, yeah. how they were very different personalities. And Dave Scott was the kind of person who like would love Boston. He would feed off that energy if he ever, if he had ever mm-hmm. run it, because that was just his personality type where Mark Allen, he was almost like other people around him would just morph into like energy vampires. And they would just like, mm-hmm. like suck yeah. the energy out of him. If he was around them for too long uh, to the point where like he wouldn't even sleep in the same room as his wife the night before a race. Because he feels like he was like such a believer in that. His wife being at the time yeah. the best female triathlete in the world, who was also running the race yeah, the next day. That's crazy. Um, yeah, so it's interesting how that how that all works out. Um, and at the same time, when you're training for these, you know, these Mount Washington races, these Loon races, what is that like in terms of race prep? Like, how do you race prep for going mm-hmm. seven and a half miles straight for up? Those- Straight up. Yeah. So, I mean, so for something like Loon um, and the other races in the mountain series, there's, there's some down along with the up with the climbing. So um, I actually um, run a couple, there's a, a little ski area near where we are, Gunstock, and I run around Gunstock quite a bit um, up and down their um, maintenance road to the summit and then kind of around their Nordic their Nordic ski trails and things like that. So, um, and that, that's more sort of traditional, just trail running. Um, you know, you're just out there on the trails. Um, but for Mount Washington, um, all of my sort of specific mountain training was actually on the treadmill. So I've been working with, um, Kim Nadeau is the coach that I've been working with. And, um, she is, um, former, was a member of the 2016 USA mountain running team. She finished second at Mount Washington in 2016. So she's just a really, she's an amazing athlete and a really accomplished mountain runner. Um, so I've been working with her and so she's designed all my, all my training, but primarily it was all in the treadmill at 12 13 or 15 percent incline um and we we played around with um mile repeats as well as half mile repeats um either at race goal race pace or a little bit faster um and then we did we did one chunk where it was i think it was 45 minutes 
I mean, all the, the workouts were about 45 to 50 minutes, but some were, there was one that was continuous where it was, um, I think it was a mile, no, uh, tw- 12 minutes at 12%, 13 minutes at 13%, 13 minutes at 13% with no rest in between each of those segments. So that one was probably one of the harder ones because they there wasn't any rest good but, golly um, i've i've actually seen yeah. someone do that training i had a, a co-worker of mine that worked at roger williams university and he was the the cross-country mm-hmm. coach there and he used to run the, the mount mm-hmm. washington race his name was sean livingston yeah. yep and um okay. he's actually a new hampshire guy he grew up there um okay. and it was insane he would literally put the incline all the way up on the treadmill and just like this is like in a yep. college gym. So everyone's just like looking around mm-hmm. like what in the world? <laughs> like who's who's the weirdo? What is this person doing? And he's like running because he was just so darn gifted and worked so darn hard. Yeah. So he's like yeah. running like, you know, eight minute mile pace on this like incline straight up. And you're just like, yeah. whatever I think I'm doing that I thought was hard. I can just like throw that in the garbage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely I mean the whole goal is to build power in in your legs. And so you know, I'm sure that my my turnover and my speed has suffered quite a bit since training so specifically for this because um you're just it's just all about it's all about building power and and being able to just grind. So So do you have to put a cross training um, involved in that as well? Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I'm always doing a lot of like core and upper body stuff, um, just to stay just as an injury prevention type of thing. That's but, true. I saw that but you were also... doing like how to do a pull up. I loved watching that, like, yeah. the, like the, like the, yeah. the, the step-by-step process of you like doing, doing yeah. your own unsupported pull up. Yeah. Well, that was one of my goals this year was, was to be able to do a traditional pull up, um, and so I worked, worked towards that at the tail end of last year and then this year. So that's definitely pull-ups are part of it. Um, but one of the, the more specific things that we did were heavy deadlifts and heavy squats, uh, single leg, heavy single leg deadlifts and the heavy single leg squat. Um, so, um, and there was actually one workout that I was probably the hardest, but also I enjoyed, um, was it was three by one mile and between each mile I hopped off the treadmill and I did um a set you know three uh, three sets of eight to ten reps of deadlift and and squat then got back on the treadmill did another mile at 12 percent at goal pace got back off the treadmill lifted got back on the you know so you're just fatiguing the legs, you know, fatiguing the glutes basically. Um, and then running really steep. Now, when you say you're doing heavy one foot of squats, that mean you were carrying weight as well. Like I'm just thinking about how do you, how logistically you do that? Oh, a single leg yeah. squat. So the single leg, it was, so the single leg deadlift is, is pretty easy. Just kind of imagine how that goes. Um, single leg squat. I have, um, like a balance leg sort of out back behind me, but 95% of my weight. So it's almost like a, it looks like a curtsy or something like that. You know, like you've got one leg sort of back, but like the goal is that 95% of your weight is on that, that front leg. 
and then your your back leg is just kind of behind you. It's like the it would kind of look like a split squat a little bit, but instead of evenly distributing the weight between the two legs, you're really trying to get it all on that front. Now, leg. is the idea to have each leg kind of improve at their own rate, or is it more of a balance issue? Um, not so much working balance, but just trying to mimic the motion of, of hiking or running on an incline. Okay. So, you know, with every stride, you're, you're striding forward on one leg, you know, one leg pushing off with one leg. So you're really just trying to build those, those muscles that you're, that you're using as you're running up the hill. Now, have you done stuff like that in previous years? No, this was the first time I'd done, I mean, I'd done, I'd always sort of been in the gym, but not necessarily done specific um, exercises with specific weights sort of to target, um, you know, a specific motion. So, so this was kind of new. Did for you me. notice a difference? Oh yeah, totally. So, I mean, and that, obviously that's probably where the huge PR came in, but, um, but yeah, I felt competent, I guess you could say, and really well prepared throughout the whole race. I always felt strong. Um, so, so that it definitely, I definitely noticed it. And one thing you did in this race is that you dipped the watch, right? You, you ran, yes. you ran yep. to your own internal pace, which I think for a lot of people who, who consistently wear watches, cause they are nice to, to track a run. Even if you're not looking at it, it's nice after the fact to mm -hmm. say, Hey, how did this run mm -hmm. go? You know, yeah. um, mm -hmm. you know, even if you're not like a slave to looking down every mile or whatever, with that said, I feel like the danger obviously worked out for you. You spoiler alert. You already, you already just, you mm -hmm. just said you got a PR. It worked yeah. out great. Um, yep. But the one thing I would worry about if I was doing this race as a complete amateur would be like, because I'm running uphill, if I go out too hard, there's no place to catch my breath. Like once I get into mm -hmm. oxygen debt, how do I recover? Right. So is yeah. that something you'd experienced in the past in the past or how did how did it work out for you from a pacing perspective this year that seemed to work out so well mm -hmm. as opposed to previous mm -hmm. years? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely what you said um, is very true of Mount Washington. There's just no recovery because the hill, the, the incline never um, plateaus or evens out, um, especially in the first three miles. There's no plateau. You get it flattens out a little bit about a half a mile from the, the, um, the finish, but you're still, I mean, flatten it, uh, air quotes around that because it's still like eight to, to 9% probably. So, but after running 12 to 15%, eight to 9% feels pretty, pretty good. <laughs> um, but to, to answer your question, um, the first year that I ran, I went out way too fast. Um, I had a goal in mind, um, and I was think I thought that I needed to kind of keep, you know, in pace with some other women who were out there who I sort of recognized from the roads. And I thought, you know, I just have to keep up with them and, and then I'll, you know, kind of be right where I want to be. And, um, just kind of really wasn't, didn't really listen to my body, went out way too fast and kind of blew up and walked like most of the ra the rest of the race after mile two, um, paced a lot better last year, but, um, just didn't have the endurance base or the strength, um, or the specific training for it. Um, 
And then this year, because I had those two experiences under my belt, I really knew that I wanted to go out um, just pretty comfortably in the first mile and a half. I mean, comfortably hard, I should say, you know, not, not easy run pace, still race pace, but, but definitely sort of within myself. Um, and, uh, I think, um, the goal of ditching the watch was to remove any sort of negative feedback in terms of like falling off of goal pace or maybe, you know, looking at the watch and thinking, Oh, I I need to slow down. This is too fast. Even if I was feeling good. So I just wanted to just be able to run what felt, what felt right, you know? So, um, and I was able, I was able to do that. Right. And then that, that kind of intimates what, what happened, um, prior to this race, some of the struggles that you'd had, uh, specifically mm-hmm. at Pineland and some yeah. other races as well. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, I think we just want to set the stage because you, before we get into that, which is definitely a learning experience that, that I've taken a lot from personally reading your own reflections mm-hmm. on that experience before we get there, you kicked some serious butt before then. I was third, but behind some incredibly competitive women um, and in front of some incredibly competitive women who, you know, historically I've always finished, you know, six to 10 minutes behind at some races. So, um, you know, it was, that was kind of a, I mean, I had worked really hard through the winter um, and my training had gone really well. And my goal had, uh, was actually a half marathon, you know, I was training for a road half marathon. Um, so the, um, the performance at the snowshoe national championships was sort of an unexpected, um, breakthrough. Um, and I think part of it was the, my mentality going in. Um, and the thing about that particular race and, and snowshoe racing in general is that, um, you can never really rely on pace because pace is dictated so much by the conditions. So let's say I, there was a, I ran a snowshoe race in January where the snow cover was maybe three to four inches. I mean, there was just enough snow to have a snowshoe race and I ran eight forty pace on, on snowshoes for this four mile race at snow, the snowshoe national championships. There was, 40 inches of fresh powder and I think I averaged 14 30 you know so the conditions uh, of the you know the snow conditions definitely dictate the pace and so you know going into the race obviously we all knew that the that Prospect Mountain had gotten hit really hard with this snowstorm and there was 40 inches of of snow and it was waist deep and you know they had just had enough time to cut the single track and it was going to be pretty gnarly and, and, and crazy, you know? So going in, I think my attitude was like, well, you know, I'm just going to have fun. Like nobody's going to go fast. This is going to be hard for everybody. You know, we're all going to get wet. We're all going to be cold. You know, I'm just going to have fun. And so I think that that mentality really helped me to do well was that I didn't see the conditions as um, a negative thing. I just, found enjoyment in every, every aspect of it. Um, even though it was really hard. Um, and so I kind of wanted to, I think ditching the watch at Mount Washington was a little bit 
like trying to recreate that where, you know, at the snowshoe national championships, I didn't look at my watch at all really. Or just to, just towards the end where I was like, Oh God, are we done yet? <laughs> you know, am I, am I close to the 10 K mark? But, but you, pace is not a reliable measure of, of effort, you know, cause you feel like you're running 10 K effort, 5 K effort, but you're only going, you know, 14 minutes per mile. So, um, but, but yeah, that was a, that was a, a really great race for me. And you so. talked about mindset where you approach the race as an, right, I just want to go out here and have fun, which is obviously a stark contrast to how you described your, your, see your, your Boston marathon experience where you had a lot of self-imposed yes. pressure. Yeah. Now, would you have mm-hmm. that sort of feeling of, all right, I'm just going to go out I'm going to do this race just to have fun. How does that manifest itself when inevitably, especially in a race like this, where things start to get really difficult, where mm-hmm. it isn't maybe your traditional, you know, the, the traditional fun experience, right? I mean, shoot, you're running in 40 mm-hmm. inches of snow for mm-hmm. an extended period of time. Yeah. So inevitably, yeah. it's going to be really stinking difficult. How do you yeah. get through that? that mental challenge of like, Hey, I came out here to have fun. This is no longer fun, but I'm going to push through anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think part of it was, it was just so darn beautiful. Like, so the snow was still fresh. It had just fallen like a few days before. And so all the pine trees were like covered in feet of snow and they were all bent really low and they made these like tunnels that we had to run through. Like literally it felt like Narnia, like (laughs) literally, (laughs) I mean, and so it was just, it was kind of like magical, this sort of magical scene, um, which was a great distraction from how difficult it was. Um, and, um, yeah. And I just think like just seeing it as a chance to just play, I don't know. Uh, and it di- there was a time when, when like right after the five mile mark. So typically it's a, it, well, it was a 10, 10 K distance. It ended up being a little bit longer, but right after the five mile mark, the fatigue set in and the cold, like I was just so, I was soaking wet and so cold and it's like, okay, like my body's not really working. I'm not warming up. Like, I just need to keep moving forward. You know, at that point, it was like, okay, just get, like, there's just a mile left. Just get to the finish. And there were so many switchbacks and turns in the race. It just kind of wound through the woods, and you had no idea when the finish was coming. Um, At that point, it was really, it was really tough. Um, But I think that was when I realized that I was either in third, I wasn't sure, but I thought I was in third or fourth and so um then it kind of kicked in like oh my gosh I could do something really cool here and and finish on the podium so um so then that sort of kicked in as a motivating and then you did and 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 what a wonderful experience and (laughs) yeah it's it's funny how how things work in life because obviously that is um despite going into the race with little expectations you came out of it with this huge achievement, how, mm-hmm. now, how did that affect your, I guess, how you viewed yourself as an athlete after that race compared mm-hmm. to how you viewed yourself as an athlete before that race? Right. Yeah. Um, I think it definitely had a, a huge impact because 
Um, I finished in front of a good friend of mine, Amber um, Fiera, and she's an accomplished triathlete. She's she's won Lake Placid Ironman. Holy she's cow. competed at Kona. Like she's just an outstanding athlete. And she was actually coming off of a really long break. So she wasn't in peak condition, but um, she's one of those people who's like, super supportive and encouraging and always lifting up the people around her. And, and she had always said like, Sarah, you, you, you belong at the top. Like you, you've been working so hard. I've seen your training, like you, you're ready to roll. And, um, and so it was funny cause like all these, these people around me sort of believed that I was capable of, of, um, some fast times, but I didn't really believe it. And, um, but then, you know, I ended up finishing, I came in, you know, I came in third. I was, um, the winner, I was about seven minutes back from the winner and about two minutes off of second place. And the girl who came in, um, second, she had just run a sub three hour marathon at CIM. And so, you know, at that point I was like, well, goodness, (laughs) like, okay. So, maybe I'm more fit than I, than I think I am. You know, if I'm, if I'm up here sort of competing with these women who, you know, have really impressive running resumes and really impressive road times, like maybe this is where I belong. And so, um, then I kind of went into my half marathon thinking, um, you know, I, I thought I was, my goal had, had been to, to, to run a sub one thirty half road half and felt like I was in, in good shape for one twenty eight was kind of like the time that I had, you know, the goal pace workouts I had, I had trained for. Um, and then after, after the national championships, um, I had a couple more workouts and was starting to think like, Oh, maybe I could, you know, maybe one twenty six is more like in the cards. Like if, you know, this is, this is how I ran at the national championships. Like maybe this is, this is more realistic. Um, or, you know, not realistic, but maybe this is a possibility. Um, so then when I ran the half, I ran the half and I ran 134 and I just felt like a fraud, basically. <laughs> like I felt like my results at the Snowshoe National Championships were just a, a fluke or something. Like maybe I had made a wrong turn accidentally or something, you know, that, um, it just, it definitely, um, was a blow to my confidence as a runner and sort of my belief in in myself and, and this idea of like dreaming big. So, um, now did that hit you at, after the race or did it hit you during the race during that half marathon? The, um, during that. Oh yeah, it was definitely during <laughs> It was definitely during, and I wanted to quit and walk off the course. Honestly, if my daughter hadn't been there, so my husband and my daughter came um, to to cheer and watch the race. And if she hadn't been there, I well, I can't say I I would have because at that point I had never had a DNF, and so I didn't really want to have one. But you know, if she hadn't been there, I might have I might have walked off the course because it was I just felt so defeated. Um, so, and definitely after, and then I think that sort of played out in the next few races that I ran was this idea of like, oh, I have to prove that I am that person that ran the Snowshoe National Championships. You know, I have to like somehow prove to myself and prove to other people that, that, that was legitimate. 
Now, you know? what, now what so, about, I mean, it's not as if what you did was subjective, right? I mean, like, you came in third in the race, right? It was like, it was mm-hmm. measured. Yeah. There were people at the finish right. line that saw you do it. It's not like mm-hmm. Harper Lee writes To Kill a Mockingbird. It's subjectively great. Now she has to live up to other people's perceptions from mm-hmm. then on. You know what I mean? Like, so what about that race made you feel like you were fraud when it was in a, when it was an objective finish? I think it was just, um, it felt so surprising to me to do so well and to finally sort of be where it always wanted to be and worked hard to be. Um, I think that was, that was part of it. And then I also think like, you know, sort of the, my MO through my teenage years and most of my early adulthood, um, you know, I struggled with an eating disorder. And so, um, that negative voice that sort of cuts, cuts you down, um, and, um, is that voice isn't really there anymore, but definitely that negative that sort of rut that was created in my, my thinking, that really negative self-destructive pattern of thinking. Um, it's, you know, it's not as deep. The rut isn't as deep as it used to be, but, um, it's definitely easy for me to sort of slip into that really self-destructive defeatist mentality. Um, yeah, you had a really good line so, uh, about that in a recent blog post. If you don't mind, I'm going to read it verbatim because it's yeah, really yeah. well written. Um, said, even though I'm recovered, that self-destructive tract still exists in my mind and negative thoughts like to find that groove and ride it for as long as they can. It's an old and easy Mm -hmm. pattern to slip into. And it's no wonder that my brain can be my worst enemy on race day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's a, it's a, first of all, you're one heck of a writer. Um, second, secondly, (laughs) um, while we all have gone through different things in life and I can't uh, imagine what you went through um, with your bulimia and anorexia, I feel like a lot of people can relate to that feeling of Mm. slipping into whether it's negative self-talk or as you put it, that groove, that track that, you know, it's almost like you build up that internal myelin in your brain. And and it's like, it's like the negative pathway. It's not just the positive ones Mm -hmm. that can, that can start to hijack your 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 thoughts and emotions during a race and that can be hard very hard to come back from also it can be hard to get a very um i don't know exactly how to phrase this it can be hard to trust yourself in those moments Mm -hmm. right i mean yeah you know a race Mm -hmm. later on where you did have a dnf where pinelands Mm -hmm. yeah and you had a really well well written blog post, another one. You're a really good writer, as I just said, uh, where you talked about you know, when it's okay to DNF and when it's not. And part of that is having kind of like the you know, that 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 self understanding of what this race means to you and whether you'd be okay after the fact if you were gonna regret not finishing after the mm-hmm. fact. And my question for, from from when I read that was is it hard for you to trust your judgments in those moments? Cause I know that my, you know, my, my inner like demon is not trustworthy mm. in a race. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think when I was in the half marathon, 
it was definitely that sort of inner demon sort of defeatist like oh you should just quit because your finish time is just going to be so unimpressive and you're not going to PR you know that sort of just really negative self-destructive voice was the impetus behind wanting to step off the course at Pineland it was very it was it felt very different like I just felt sort of emotionally drained (laughs) like I just just tired like my mind was kind of I think I described it as doing mental gymnastics like you know the angel devil sort of on each shoulder and um I just didn't like the chatter in my head was just unenjoyable like it just wasn't having fun so it was more I, I definitely think it was the impetus behind that actually DNFing and walking off the course there was uh, very different. Um, the voice that sort of told me, Hey, you know, it's okay. Was more of like a kind self-preserving voice in my head. <laughs> that was like, you know what, this is okay. You don't have to finish this race if you're not having fun, you know? So, so it was two very different, um, different experiences. Yeah. And the whole time you're, you're training hard, you're getting better. You have certain goals in mind. So you're so physically, you know, you're working your tail off. Mentally, obviously, yeah. it's almost like one step forward, two steps back in a way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe even like one giant leap forward and then like small little steps kind of like keep retreating, retreating, retreating back to the mean or the mean mm. as you may have assumed it was going to be maybe when you, maybe when you mm-hmm. registered for these races. Yeah. Um, so what mentally did you do? between Pinelands and Mount Washington to get yourself ready to take advantage of the fitness that you'd accrued over this period of time. Yeah, um, definitely. I, so there were a couple of different things that, that I did. Um, and one of them was I reached out to Kristen uh, Shefshunas. She's a, she's actually a swim coach turned into sort of, um, life coach, uh, athlete, mental training coach. Um, and I had heard her on, um, Nicole de Boone's podcast, um, skirt, skirt sports, um, founder, her podcast. And, um, so I, I reached out to her, um, and we had a, a little phone conversation and she, um, just gave me a couple, she asked me some questions and reframed th- some things that, um, just gave me a couple tools, um, sort of, and I could tuck them in my back pocket and just kind of work through them. So I spent some time just journaling about, so what was it that was, so, you know, figure out what was it that was so defeating in Pylon that made me want to quit. And, and one of the things was, you know, getting past, um, when I got, pa- I got past quite a bit at the in the first few miles at Pineland and cause I, I wasn't staying with the lead pack of women and that's how, kind of where I had wanted to be. There was one woman who like, I thought she was going to be a front runner and I wanted to keep her in my sights and, and that I just couldn't stay with that pack. And, um, every time somebody passed me the little voice inside my head, it was basically like, Oh, see, you're not who you think you are. You're not as fast as you think you are. And so every person passing me was like, just, uh, I was sort of seeing it as confirmation that, you know, I'm, 
I don't, don't belong at the, at the front basically. Um, so, so I kind of had to work through that and come up with some mental strategies of, you know, how do I, how do I reframe somebody passing me as being a positive thing? Um, and that you know, is, and a, that so is a hard, I, that's a hard nut to crack right there. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, so the way that I sort of said I was going to reframe it for Washington was, um, you know, uh, thank you for, for pushing your limits because you're making me better, Ooh. you know, um, that was one of them. And then the other one was, I knew you were coming just so that it would like, I wouldn't be caught off guard by somebody passing me like, Oh, I knew, you know, I knew you were back there. I knew you were coming. Um, and I can't, I think that was, those were the two, the two. Oh, and then the third one was I have the strongest kick. Okay. So, um, I, at a couple of the mountain races I had, um, a really, and I had the Strava results to, to prove it, but I had, I had a really good kick at a couple of the, the mountain races. Um, and so I felt like, you know, as long as I'm in the last, you know, once I can sort of taste the finish line, I, I, I have a really good kick. So, so those were like the three positive things that I, um, that I was going to use. And then I sort of went down the line of every negative thought that, I had at Pineland or any of the other races I've had between, you know, uh, Snowshoe Nationals and, and now just, you know, what were the negative thoughts? How can I reframe that into, you know, what's my positive response going to be? How can I reframe it? Um, so that was, that was incredibly helpful. Yeah. And I was listening to your, uh, I said, I was watching your Facebook live, Facebook live, your Instagram live this afternoon, yeah. um, on my lunch mm-hmm. break. And I saw that nice. you, um, you also had some mantras that you referred to that maybe that, yeah. that you that you'd kind of prepared beforehand, but but it almost sounds like you prepared a bunch and then kind of went with some more spontaneous ones uh, during the mm-hmm. race. So I guess what were some of those, and when do you break those out? Yeah, so um, it was interesting. So I had so I kind of went through all those those negative things and kind of created these mantras prior to the race, you know, some of them were, I belong, I'm a force, um, embrace the hill, obviously. Um, so I had a list of probably about, um, I don't know, eight to 10 mantras to, to kind of lean on. And then actually the day before I just ordered, um, Dina Caster's book, let your mind run last week and started reading it. I think it arrived on Thursday. How good is that book? How good? It's excellent. Really good. Yeah, really excellent. So I, um, I think it was in the third chapter, she's talking about her work with, um, with her coach, um, you know, after she, um, goes pro and how his philosophy, um, you know, he, he kind of, she highlights the aspect of his philosophy where he is more focused on excellence versus success, you know, that, um, you know, success is something that you achieve, but excellence is a state of being. And, um, so in the margin next to that, I wrote excellence in every step. And that ended up being the mantra that I used throughout the race was just excellence in every step, you know, make this, make every step excellent. Um, instead of trying to, to picture the time goal that I wanted or the place goal that I wanted, um, during the race, I just wanted to just stay in the moment and focus, you know, focus on each step. So, so that was, that was really helpful. Um, and then the wind ended up being a huge factor in the race, um, the, at Mount Washington, 
the wind was the gusts were up to 40 miles an hour. Um, so that was, that was interesting. So I had to try and I was like, okay, so how can I reframe the wind in a positive way? <laughs> so, you know, so there were just a lot of different things that, um, you know, that I had to kind of pull out different tricks and, and tools to, to just stay positive. Yeah, I can imagine. So you had like a, a very, I don't know, like almost like a mental slash emotional reset between those two yeah. races. Yeah, pretty much. And yep. that brings me to something that you've been doing recently. Uh, you got another one coming up the first weekend in September, uh, which is a really unique thing. And I think it really it is really very interesting. Your rise, run, retreat. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of the genesis of it and what it is? I think it's fascinating, but instead of me talking about it, I'd love to hear, you know, kind of you put it in your own words. Yeah. So, um, rise, run, retreat. Um, like you just mentioned, we just had our, um, our spring retreat in, uh, Woodstock, Vermont, um, back in May, about a month ago. Um, and it was an amazing weekend. We had, um, about 16 women there who, who came. Stephanie Bruce was our guest speaker. Um, Crystal Siever came in and did some cross training. Um, we just had a, an outstanding weekend. Um, we have another event coming up in September, which is a training camp. We teamed up with um, Mary Johnson from Lift, Run, Perform, and we're putting on a weekend-long training camp um, up here in New Hampshire. Um, so, And then later on in the fall, in November, um, we're going to have a race weekend meetup. Um, and, uh, that'll, that'll be a lot of fun as well. So, um, the retreat itself really stemmed from, um, a conversation with my friend, um, Jessica Devonza from runladylike.com. Um, she and I both kind of came onto the running blogging scene at the same time and connected through Twitter. Um, and then, met in real life and became good friends. And, um, we went to a, a blog conference together, like a fitness bloggers conference. And, um, you know, our comment after the fact, after we, we'd attended the, the conference was that it just seemed really impersonal and we didn't really have a chance to connect with people. And, you know, how cool would it be if there was something that was really small and kind of intimate where, you, where you had time to, to have great conversation and make lifelong friends. And so from that conversation, Rise, Run, Retreat was born. Um, we had our first retreat in 2015. Um, and we've been doing a retreat um, every year since then, except for last year, we just did the the race meetup event. Um, but yeah, I'm um, kind of taking it taking it on full time here and really want to, um, make it something that, um, you know, is accessible to a lot of different people and, you know, is a source of, um, inspiration and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I love organizing it. Uh, it's, it brings me so much joy. It's, it's a ton of fun. No, it started, the, the genesis was at this bloggers conference. Mm -hmm. 
and your retreats aren't necessarily bloggers, right? They're just they're just people who want to get involved with correct. more community yeah. and the running scene. Yeah, correct. So I, I think the first year that we did it, um, I I like to call it it was the beta version. So I actually in, <laughs> and I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to pull it off and how it was going to go. And so I invited people who some people I'd met in real life, some people I didn't know, but they were I all I knew them all as bloggers. So um, and that was kind of the trial run to see, you know, what it was like to organize and get the sponsorships and, and that kind of thing. Um, so that year it was all bloggers. And then the following years, it's, it's been opened up to, to all kinds of runners of all ages and abilities. So, so how can people find out more information about all this stuff? Yeah. So, um, rise run, if you, if you're interested in, um, more info on rise run retreat and the upcoming events you can go to riserunretreat.com um we also are on facebook and instagram so um you can find us there at rise run retreat um and then the uh the facebook page is uh just rise run retreat and then my my personal stuff um you can read my blog at runfargirl.com and then my uh my handle, my social media handle is at run far girl. So. There you go. So you got in early. You got all of them. You got run far girl. I did. Everywhere. There was for a while on Twitter, there was somebody who had it. And then, um, I had underscores separating each word and, but people were, were getting so confused that whoever had it, I think eventually abandoned it and <laughs> was able to, was able to claim it. So were you just like checking every day? Like, does she still have it? No, she I still think have it? I can't remember it? somebody. I think someone, notified me that it had opened up i can't remember who it was but yeah kudos to <laughs> i know that person. right <laughs> that's great I, but i think right. they were getting so, enough misdirected uh, uh twitter twitter messages that they they were like screw it we'll just give it to that girl they should have they should have leaned into it <laughs> yeah been like, yes i am run for a girl yeah. thank you very much um all right well i know i know you got a role i got a role too um but i want to ask you one more question before we get going okay. um Last year, you ran the Killington Mountain Race. Yes. You referenced yep. it as part yep. of the uh, New England USTF Mountain Series. I'm running that sucker this year. Cool. I'm really excited. I'm running the 10K. In addition to being very excited, I'm also very nervous. I've never done anything like this. I don't run on trails anymore. I'm an early morning runner. So when I run, it's dark outside. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not trying to like run on trails in the dark. Um, anyway, what are some pointers that you would give me or training tips to prepare for this race. Oh, let's see. So which distance at Killington are you doing? All right. So I'm doing the 10. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a lot of climbing. Um, so, you know, maybe on the weekends you can get out and I would try and get at least 2000 feet in, in gain on it, on any given run. So, wow. So over how many miles? So 2000 over a 10 K. Yeah. I mean, over a 10 K. Yeah. Okay. Get some good climbing in. Yeah. At yeah, least get I a couple would, of runs say like that's that good under climbing. your belt. And be good. All right. <laughs> I'm scared. So I ran, I ran the last year. They actually had it in July. Yes. Yeah. I know this because I was there the day of the race. Hmm. I was actually, my buddy planned, my buddy doesn't have kids. So he plans golf trips instead. Okay. So I was there like, oh, I'm going to do a golf trip. This would be great. So I run. I ran in the morning. I ran up the road 
towards up Killington Mountain. Mm-hmm. It was my morning run. So I get to the top and I'm like, oh, there's a race here? <laughs> like, I should have signed up for the darn race instead of like instead of running, running on the road, like on my own. Yeah. So I'm like, so I was really excited when I saw it was back there this year. Um, and then actually that's when I like later on, I'm like, oh shoot, Sarah did great in that race. Like, oh, I should have really like paid more attention to what was going on. Um, so no, I'm really excited for this race, but I also like want to invest in ankle braces. I feel like I'm going to step on a tree root and like go down in a heap. No, I think you'll be all right. You'll be okay. It's a, it's a fun course. It's, um, a lot of varied terrain. You'll be on the maintenance road a little bit and then through the woods as well. So, you know, good pair of trail shoes and some hill repeats and a couple long trail runs you'll be all right all right so you you boosted my confidence thanks coach i appreciate it i'm ready to go sarah thank you so much for spending all this time i really appreciate it i really enjoyed this conversation yeah thank you it was fantastic all right have a great day thank you sarah so much for coming on the show this conversation was a long time coming i was so excited uh to have you on and so honored that you shared so much with us today Also, I'm thankful for uh, Mercury Mile for sponsoring this episode. I really appreciate it. Go check out their new fabric, Breeze, and as well as everything else they have to offer, mercurymile.com. Use the promo code RAMBLINGRUNNER10 to save 10 bucks. Also, from a promo code standpoint, if you want to join me in running the Killington Mountain Race in Vermont, you can use Sarah's promo code of RISERUN20 for 20% off of registration. That's a pretty good deal, I know, because I just used it. Um, I actually had, I said I was running this race, and I was full, and I had full intention on doing so, but I actually hadn't gone online and registered. I always procrastinate on that. Uh, I can't tell you why, but I'm glad I did this time because I just saved twenty percent. So, with all of that being said. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing this episode with your friends. I greatly appreciate it. I really, really do. So, have fun and happy running.